Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. If you could meet anyone in the world, living or dead, who would it be? Would it be your favorite musician, movie star, athlete, or perhaps a social media influencer? We like to meet people who are famous or those we look up to. I always wondered, why do we crave this? Sometimes I think it's because we've elevated them so high in our hearts that we make meeting them or getting a photo with them a significant milestone in our lives. And other times I, I think it might be pride. We may desire the attention or bragging rights that come with meeting someone most other people have not gotten to see in person. And other times I think I think it's curiosity. We want to know if the celebrity we admire is the same or are they different than the person we see on screen? Or are they more than or less than the person we see on screen? Well, the incarnation of Jesus Christ at Christmas made it possible for all those who wanted to meet God and to see what He was like to meet Him in person. Now, before we open up the Scriptures together in order to see exactly what this means, let's begin with prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, would you please help us to settle our hearts and minds as we open your word today? Lord, we need to hear from you, and we know your word is how you speak to us. Would you please help us to recapture the wonder of Christmas this season? You know, Lord, it's been a difficult year for all of us, with this global pandemic, and we could really use something to be in awe of this Christmas again. And we could really use a reminder that you are always at work for your glory and our good right now. So please, Lord, give us listening hearts and discerning eyes to understand how the birth of Christ can encourage us and how it helps us in our lives today. So Lord, help us to apply your word today. In the magnificent and mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, I'd like to invite you to open up your copy of God's word with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to resume the series I started uh, a couple of weeks ago called Christmas in Five Words. Uh, I'd like to try to simplify the Christmas story or boil it down to to five words that we can remember and memorize together. Uh, Five words that summarize what Christmas is really all about. And if you find this study helpful, uh, perhaps you can share these videos with some friends or family members who need to know the true meaning of Christmas. Well, as we look at our Bibles, uh, let let me just review real quick what we've learned so far in this series. Uh, In the first lesson from this series, we learned that 
Christmas, the Christmas story began with a promise, a promise in the book of Isaiah that God would send a Messiah. The Messiah would experience everything that we do here on earth, and he would also live the perfect life that we never could. He would offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins, and then eventually establish his own kingdom here on earth. Now, today's keyword, the second word we need to learn in this series is the word incarnation. We learned a couple of weeks ago the word promise, and that was the first word. The second word in this series of five words is incarnation. The term incarnation comes from the Latin word incarne, which means to be made flesh. Now, keep that in mind as we look at Philippians 2, and I'm going to show you actually three verses today that capture what the incarnation is about. So, Philippians 2, and I'm going to read verses 3 through 7. Paul writes this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you... Look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men." Okay, here's the first point on your outline. I hope you printed one off the uh, website, by the way, a PDF download worksheet. Uh, the first point is this. The incarnation allowed humanity to see deity. The incarnation allowed humanity to see deity. The key phrase that you're going to want to underline in your Bible, and, and by the way, all three verses I'm showing you today are underliners. They're, they're worth underlining and highlighting so you know where they are and what they mean. But the key word, being born in the likeness of men, the key phrase, excuse me, uh, the doctrine of the incarnation is simply this, God became a man in order to save men. It's the creator closing the vast canyon between himself and the creation in order to join the creation. In his best attempt at conveying this under the influence of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul uses a unique Greek word in the Greek text of what this looks like. Instead of using the Greek word for exactness or being identical, he uses the word for similarity in order to leave room for differences. So when he says that Jesus was made in the likeness of men, meaning he was similar to men. Now, why is that important? Well, it means that even though Jesus, like a man, he was like a man, he was also uniquely unlike any other man. Now, the author of Hebrews comes at this from a different angle by focusing on Jesus' deity, by describing Jesus as the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That's in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Now, despite the abundance of scriptural support for both the humanity and deity of Jesus Christ, uh, this is still a difficult doctrine for our finite minds to understand. In fact, this was a hotly debated 
issue for the first 450 years of church history. Uh, Some churches back then argued that Jesus' two natures, his two natures, um, had to be kept as separate as possible in order to prevent his humanity from limiting his deity, uh, in which case he couldn't be fully God. These churches also wanted to avoid the other extreme, allowing his deity to limit his humanity, in which case he couldn't be fully human. Both ditches, though, would create a sort of trickle-down effect, eventually leading to multiple heresies and big theological problems. Now, this growing crack that was taking place in the early church's foundation was eventually patched and closed uh, when church leaders gathered at what's called the Council of Chalcedon in 450 A.D., And basically what that is, is all the church fathers, early church fathers and leaders came together and spent uh, several weeks in prayer and studying the scriptures. And the council settled this dispute about the incarnation by declaring that Jesus was one person with two natures that are, quote, without mixture, confusion, separation, or division. Now, even with the help of scripture and church councils, I I have to admit, this can be difficult still for our finite minds to grasp. How can Jesus be both God and man? And so here's my best attempt at illustrating the incarnation in a way that I hope all ages will understand. And I have to also admit, I still think this illustration falls short. But You all are familiar with the cosmic, excuse me, the comic book superhero Superman. When he left Krypton to come to Earth on the silver screen, he needed a secret identity that would allow him to get close to people and to dwell among them. So Superman chose to become Clark Kent by putting on clothes that the people of Metropolis would wear. These clothes did not change his true identity nor did he have to divest any of his power while posing as Clark Kent. He was still fully Superman, just covered in earthly clothing. Clark Kent looked like an ordinary man, but we know from the movies he was no ordinary man. In a similar sense, Jesus clothed himself with flesh so he could dwell among us while still retaining the power he needed to be our hero. He looked like an ordinary man, but he was no ordinary man. Thus, Jesus put on the full weight of humanity without putting off a milligram of his deity. Now, let's pause the video and I'd like you to talk about this discussion question for a couple of minutes, or ponder it if you're by yourself. Uh, Why was it necessary for Jesus to retain all of his deity when he came to earth? Think about that or talk about that for a minute, and I'll be right back. Well, there are actually a few good answers to this question, and I know it probably required some deeper thought than I usually ask you to do. But here's here's a few reasons. First of all, Jesus 
had to have the authority to forgive sins. This is something that the Pharisees criticized him for when he claimed to do it. Uh, Also, because no human being who has also sinned could save sinners from the consequences of sin. And even if this was possible, we would end up worshiping the human as our hero instead of worshiping God, the person we actually have sinned against. And God is the one we need to be reconciled with. Another reason that Jesus needed to retain his uh, deity is that since moral perfection is the entrance requirement into heaven owned by a holy God, only a sinless man with access to God could be the substitute that would allow sinners to enter his presence. And finally, uh, Jesus had to retain all of his deity when he came to earth because only someone who is God could act as a mediator between us and God. So, I hope that helps you. Uh, Next, let's turn to John chapter 1, and I want to look at uh, John chapter 1, verse 14. So, if you would turn there in your Bibles, John chapter 1, this would be the second verse that is very important in the doctrine of the Incarnation. John chapter 1. John writes, And the Word, meaning Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Here's the second point on your outline. And this is what we gleaned from John 1.14. And it's that the incarnation helped deity relate to humanity. When John writes, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, in the original language, it, riddle, it literally reads, He tabernacled among us. It, it alludes to the Shekinah glory, the visible sign of God's presence that would come down and dwell with the people of Israel in the Old Testament. It, it means that instead of the immaterial God, coming down to the temple and then going back up to heaven like he used to, now God clothed himself with material flesh so he could relate to us more intimately than ever before. Or another way to put it would be, instead of coming down to dwell in a building, which at the time back then was the tabernacle, God decided to dwell among us among us, which is even closer. Now, let's pause the video again, and I'd like you to discuss and ponder this question. Why was it necessary for Jesus to be fully human when he came to earth? This is an important question to consider and for us to answer as well. So talk about that for a minute, and I'll be right back. Well, like the previous question, there are several good answers uh, to this one as well. Uh, First one that comes to mind, and some of these answers may overlap, by the way, with the previous question. Uh, Here's here's some of the biggest reasons. First of all, in Romans chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, the Apostle Paul says that just as all were made sinners by one man's disobedience, referring to Adam, so will many be made righteous by one man's obedience, 
referring to Jesus. So uh, another reason is that because those who would eventually repent of their sins and trust in Christ alone for their salvation, they would need an example to follow. And so Jesus provided that human example of how we should live. During his earthly ministry, Jesus modeled how to pray, how to deal with temptation, how to suffer well, how we should love, and so much more. Another reason Jesus needed to be fully human was so that he could sympathize with us. The author of Hebrews articulated this really well when he wrote, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's Hebrews 4.15. That's worth underlining in your Bible as well. So, I think there's some encouragement and hope, though, we can glean from this doctrine of incarnation and the fact that Jesus dwelt among us and is able to sympathize with us. And especially, I think this encouragement is important uh, during this year where so many of us are struggling during this global pandemic. Uh, In this year, we've got many of us struggling with isolation, loneliness, pain, loss, disappointment. However, we can take comfort in the fact that Jesus experienced all of those things and more in his lifetime. He totally understands and he totally cares what we are going through. And so I I want that to encourage you today as perhaps you're struggling with some of the things that I mentioned or maybe some things I haven't mentioned to know that Jesus understands and he can relate and he is sympathizing with you. Now, if Jesus, Jesus wasn't fully human, critics would have said he can't relate to the plight of mankind. And if Jesus wasn't fully God, other critics would have risen up and said, we can't trust him. So the Lord took care of both potential problems by becoming the incarnate deity. Well, here's the last verse I want to show you here in this video related to the incarnation, and it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. So if you would turn there with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. And Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, provides some great insight into how this incarnation affects our salvation and, and how it affects our lives. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Follow along with me, please, as I read. Paul writes, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, here's, here's the third point on your outline. It's this. The incarnation provided humanity with a proxy. The incarnation provided humanity with a proxy. A proxy is a, is a substitute or an authority that represents someone else. And I have to admit, it rhymes with the previous two points on my outline so that I have alliteration in my entire outline. Now, it just wouldn't be right, though, to talk about the incarnation without without mentioning the biggest reason for God putting on flesh in order to become a man. 
And I've already alluded to it in this lesson, and that is that he did it so that Jesus could be a substitute for us on the cross. We see this in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, where Paul writes, For our sake. That's important because it means that the Lord didn't offer His Son as a substitutionary sacrifice for our sins because He was lonely and He wanted to have us back. He didn't do it because He was mad at His Son or that He hated being a single parent. No, Paul is saying the Lord did it for us. And He did it because He loves us. There, there was just one problem, though. God is holy, but man is separated from God by his sin. And because God is holy, he cannot allow sin in his presence, nor let sin go unpunished. So, how can sinners, who will never be perfect, be reconciled to a God who requires perfection in order to be in a relationship with him? Well, that's where Jesus comes in. Notice again in, in verse 21, Paul says, He made him to be sin. This means that God decided to treat His own Son like a rebellious sinner by giving Him the punishment we deserve instead of giving it to us. The theologians call this substitutionary atonement. It means that Jesus took our place on the cross, suffering the wrath of God for our sins so that we wouldn't have to. And he gave us in exchange his perfect sinless life that was worthy of being in God's presence. Now, most of you probably at some point or another have participated in a white elephant gift exchange during the Christmas season. The premise of a gift exchange like this is that you bring something from your house that you do not want, and you exchange it for something from someone else's house they don't want, but you do. I sometimes wonder if this is where the cliche, one man's junk is another man's treasure, came from. But imagine a white elephant gift exchange in which you got to bring some worthless piece of junk from your house and imagine the Christmas party host allowed you to trade it in for $500 million. I mean, that would change your life, right? Well, in a similar sense, substitutionary atonement is the best white elephant gift exchange you will ever get to be a part of. You get to bring your rebellious, sin-filled, God-rejected life and exchange it for Jesus' obedient, sinless, and God-accepted life. That, dear friends, is the good news of the gospel. That's what happens when you repent of your sins and by faith trust in Christ alone for your salvation. Well, the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's majestically described in the Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. You know, that carol was written by a Methodist minister named Charles Wesley shortly after he came to faith in Christ in 1737. Hark the Herald Angels uh, Sing uh, became a Christmas favorite about 100 years later in the mid-1800s when 
a fan of the world-renowned composer Felix Mendelssohn, matched the lyrics from Wesley, it was a poem really, uh, that he wrote, and they, th th this, this fan of Mendelssohn, a famous composer, took Wesley's lyrics and matched them with a cantata that Mendelssohn had wrote. And so this marriage of lyrics and this popular cantata eventually became the song that we joyfully sing that also declares the wonder of the carnation. It declares it in the second verse. Uh, you know the lyrics, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. There it is. Pleases man with man to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Well, I share this song lyric with you, this Christmas carol lyric with you for a couple of reasons. First, I'm hoping that when you hear this carol maybe playing on your smartphone or in your AirPods or at the store or in the background somewhere, that if you hear Hark the Herald Angels Sing, you'll be able to say when that second verse comes around, ah, that's talking about the incarnation. I'm also hoping that you'll see the irony of unbelievers declaring this Christian doctrine when they sing this popular carol on TV specials or in Christmas movies or on the albums that you listen to this month. Well, although Jesus is no longer walking here on earth like a celebrity, he is still alive and he wants to meet you. He left heaven to be born in a manger so he could eventually die on a cross for you and me. That's what makes Christmas so amazing. Thus, the second word we need to learn this Christmas season is incarnation. Well, thanks again for tuning in. If you've enjoyed this video, please give it a thumbs up on YouTube. Subscribe to our channel and share it with a friend or family member. May the Lord bless you. I'm praying for you and I'm cheering for you. I'll see you next week. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.